0: Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. On this episode, Landon Mayer returns to update us on his guide season, and we take a deep dive into designing and tying easy-to-tie flies for difficult trout. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or our Android app. We organize our content by category so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to the interview. Well, Landon, welcome back to the Articulate Fly. Uh, Thanks for having me, Marvin. Pleasure to be back and looking forward to our conversations as always yeah absolutely. and as I was telling you before I hit the record button, you now hold the world record for the most appearances on the Tonight Show.
1: <laughs> I love that well, it's interesting interesting information you always bring some great questions with answers and it's not always uh it's not always easy sometimes when you have all this information built up and you're trying to find a way and an avenue to express it and get the point across. And uh, I love being on the show, man. I appreciate you having
0: me. Well, I appreciate you making the time to uh, to sit down with me this evening and always love having you on. And, you know, it's a little different. I think the last time I had you on, it was right after the last IFTD. So you were kind of early in your fishing season. Um, and now we're kind of winding down. And how'd your season treat you?
1: It was a great season. You know, we had some challenges in the West with low waters and high heat we were fortunate on the South Flat River drainage. We actually ended up with around a 80 percent snowpack and a lot of moisture early in the season. Tapered off a little bit late summer into fall now, and we're a little bit dry spell going into the winter, so we have some concerns. But all in all, it was a great year. And you know, when you have low water and you have high heat, you really have to adjust your timing. And when you fish different watersheds, it forces you to explore and find new new openings, new water, and new fish. So I always love that challenge, but I'm. Um, I'm glad we came through without some fires and some of the challenges we've seen in years past. Um, I'm hoping we can have the same in at least some uh, late late winter season or mid winter season snow would be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so did you have a lot of hoot owl closures like they did in Montana? Yeah,
1: we had some for sure. I mean, when we started getting into mid to late August, early September, we were dealing with some high heat. So we were like everybody else, you know, getting started at 4:30 in the morning, getting out as early as possible. I even had some split days, Reminded me of back in my 20s going for tarpon. where go out in the morning, siesta midday, come back in the afternoon. So we are trying to adjust the best we can. But, yeah, we definitely had that from August through September. Then we had some unique snow and a little bit of rain in October, and we were thinking we were on par for some pretty heavy snowfall. And then since the, you know, second week of October, we really haven't, haven't had much at all. So it's been fairly dry and fairly cold lately. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. We definitely had to, you know, be cautious of the temperatures and make sure we weren't getting up to that 68 above.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also know you're one of the busiest people in the industry I know. So I bet you were working on a bunch of stuff off the water too. What were you working on?
1: Oh Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. It was a lot of fun too. Some articles, of course, I love. I'm a, I'm a late night type of guy. Get done with the trip, come home and all the thoughts and teachings and learning from the day being out guiding it, you know, that's always spinning in my head. So I put it down on paper had some new bugs I was developing and put the final touches on and, you know, tweaked a few things here and there and, and definitely have some of the, the last, last minute stuff on the book, And you know, books come out and, and they start to turn over fairly fast. Now it's not always international printing. A lot of it's domestic. So all that combined was, was a lot of fun and uh, uh, kiddos going to college and school and all the other fun stuff involved. So it's always busy and keeps you on your toes. You come home from, from being on the water and, You could be biking, playing baseball, going back out to hit the water. You never know.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. And, you know, I know one of your projects is you've got this new book that's coming out at the end of December, uh, Landon Mayer's Guide Flies, Easy to Tie Patterns for Tough Trout. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the genesis of the project.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I appreciate you mentioning that. And it, it was probably the biggest project I've taken on so far with photographs text information about the flies but i i'm so fortunate and i'm I'm very thankful for having this opportunity because i've always enjoyed my mentorship was back with john barr and pat dorsey and ed engel and great anglers and great designers in the industry and having my flies develop and an opportunity to teach that through the steps and the pages and the photography was really one of my main focuses with the book and the book is titled easy to tie patterns for tough trout. And, and the reason I mentioned that in the title was because I'm a production tire that pays attention to detail. And in these pages, what I wanted to do is get across the history of the fly, the reason for developing the fly, how to tie it, of course, the step-by-step images, which instead of three to four per page, it's two per page. And then we also were fortunate enough to have Dave Hall get on board and supply illustrations on how to rig in measurements. So one of the things I've always enjoyed about fly timing is, you know, you start developing flies, you start learning flies, and then you get on the water to fish them. But one of the key things I've noticed that I missed in some pages in the past was not seeing the diagram. So that really is something that's going to help connect the readers to the book. But it's, it's a long process developing a fly and everything that's included. So it's so nice to actually share those stories. And we'll discuss tonight some of the mentorship along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know, you know, some of your earlier books, like you you wrote books about site fishing. Was this kind of, you know, the next kind of module and kind of the Landon Mayor fishing story that you wanted to tell folks? I mean, wh- how does it kind of fit into kind of the sequence of what you've written in the past?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because in the past, you know, when I started guiding, I realized quickly that there are, techniques and strategies you develop and ways to become a better angler, but for my situation as a guide, ways to help anglers evolve and also, you know, perform on the water daily. So if you're able to teach somebody and influence them and pay attention to details, that does one hundred percent relate to the flies. And you know, once you get on the water and you start figuring things out, you start developing a system for presentation, fighting trout, most importantly sight fishing above and beyond just reading water. That was all very exciting, but I've I've always wanted that that one fly, or was hoping I could find that one fly, and and there are some great patterns on the market, but just tweaking ideas and trying them out on the water. The beauty of being a full time guide is that you can literally test your patterns as you develop them and see how they perform, and go home that night and tweak the pattern or think you can add something or take something away and that that really is I think the key for me being able to design flies that produce for myself and most importantly for other people in the water and, and ultimately hopefully those flies will become the go-to pattern where you know something that can attract the fish and really get that that fish to concentrate on it or even seek it out no matter what the season
0: yeah very neat did you have a target angler in mind when you wrote the book
1: not really, you know. I wanted I wanted it to be the book. I wanted it to be for not so much the angler, but really target the discipline. So this book includes dry flies, and includes streamers, and includes nymphs, emergers, and I just wanted out of the twenty patterns in the book for an angler to be able to open it up and tie and learn these flies, which are oftentimes quick in steps and easy to develop, but really find the confidence in each one of these for each discipline and. And next is connecting it to the season. So you can have summer flies, you have winter flies, you have attractors, you have everything that you can need within your box. And that really was the audience is just trying to target the beginning angler, just getting into the sport, the experienced angler 30 plus years, and just hopefully somebody grabs the details for each one of the flies, whether it's the story, the rigging, how to set things up for the step ties, or even just the adventure of knowing how it was developed.
0: Yeah. I tell you, one of the things that struck me when I went through the book is I would say probably, you know, you say easy to tie patterns, but they, but they really are in the sense of, I think probably 80% of the patterns in the book don't have more than 12 steps.
1: Exactly. And that's really what I'm the most proud of in these, in these designs and slides, because over the years I've learned various patterns. And when I learned to tie, I was very young. I was 13 years old and Going to the angler's cubby, they taught me how to spin deer hair and they taught me how to stack hair and I had to learn some of the old school patterns with wax on thread. And I really appreciated that because it's difficult techniques to learn early. But when you do that, you get an appreciation for understanding how difficult a fly can be, but then you also develop an appreciation of how easy a fly can be. So over the years, instead of adding to some patterns I've developed or designed, I would try to simplify and take away because my goal and my secret to success a lot of times on my trips is I tie a dozen flies before every trip. And the reason that started really keying in on, you know, understanding what to do and how to take things away from the step ties is when you have to tie a dozen flies and let's say you add to that two dozen a night. I like doing that because it keeps me connected to the next day's trip or keeps me connected to the water. So in tying those flies and cranking out numbers, if there was 12 to 20 steps, you know, I would take 12 over 20 because I could produce numbers and then focus on the details of what really makes that fly successful.
0: Yeah, because I mean, basically what that does is it gives you like a free dozen, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 And then when you don't have that dozen the next day, you're like, man, I should have tied another six or another dozen.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then you get busier, right? And you have a family and it's like, you've got a, yep. you know, it's kind of that interesting thing where, um, you know, they always have that saying about, you know, if you want something done, go to the busiest people.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Right. And, and exactly. you know, yeah. And, and you touched on this earlier. And one of the things that struck me, um, you know, Pat Dorsey, you know, wrote the, wrote the introduction. Or the forward. And then, um, you know, you wrote your introduction and it was really interesting. You know, I, I really I, I really like to think look at mentoring in the sport. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that really struck me was, you know, you've been fortunate uh, to reach a place in the industry where, you know, you've got mentors like Pat Dorsey and John Barr. But also what I was really st- struck by was how open you are to really learning from everybody, learning from your clients, right? And telling them to bring their gear and bring their flies and then people you meet in the industry. And I was really kind right. of curious about how that, you know, how you became steeped in mentoring and why it's so important to you, you know, to share as well as to take from people.
1: Oh, well, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. And that's one of the reasons I, I love your podcast as you go deep into thought and also the story of the background and that's, that's a key point. You know, when I was young, I would go to the water with my family and, and we would all fish and have a great time. And I would see these other anglers and watch them be successful. And I'll never forget one time being in the, uh, the angler's covey. I, I watched a client come in for a great blessings trip. And this this gentleman was so excited, just couldn't believe the day he had. It was awesome. He needed a dozen of the flies he used. And I was I was all ears with my eyes like silver dollars. You know, I was getting ready to turn thirteen, and my mom noticed my excitement and was kind enough to, you know, behind the scenes book the tying class which I took from Gary Alameda. And then years down the road, you know, it was a similar scenario when I was at the Peak Fly Shop, and I was young and angling and watched John Barr come in and give his talk about the hopper, copper dropper, and at my local club, I would see Pat Dorsey come in and do presentations, but. Without that mentorship for me when I was young, and the willingness for people to share information, and and they were presenting, but you were really easygoing. You could go up and talk to them, have a conversation. I thought, man, that's that's really nice of them to do that, and that really has stuck with me. And you know, some of the key words I've heard from other anglers, and Ed Engel mentioned it to me, is that you always remain a student, and it's one hundred percent true. So every guide trip I would do. I would meet some anglers that honestly, I would just be there as, as net boy, right? Just netting fish and these individuals would teach me something. And as anglers, drives, nymphs or streamers, I was learning so much. And that really is, I think the way to become the ultimate guide is never think you know everything, remain a student. And then what you learn that day, you may be given back to another angler two, three weeks later, a couple months later. It is, it's the ongoing cycle of, you know, the give and take in our relationships in the sport.
0: Yeah. It's always amazing to me. Um, you know, I think probably one of the analogs I have in my, my angling life is I used to uh, coordinate the project healing waters program in Charlotte and, and and I was always amazed at these little tricks that you would pick up when you fished with the, with the vets, um, or you were fishing with guides or you were doing a tying class and it was, um, it was really interesting. And, And I think too, I think, you know, fly fishermen, and I think outdoors people in general are incredibly generous people.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's a nice community and camaraderie is always there for sure. It's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I, I can't, um, I can't move on without mentioning, it looks like one of your favorite books and one of my favorite books too. Um, Dave, <laughs> yeah. Whit- yeah. Dave Whitlock's guide to aquatic trout foods. And I tell everybody that starts fly fishing to buy that book, but tell me a little bit about why it was so important to you.
1: Oh, it's, 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 you know, the great thing about it, being a full-time teacher and again, guide on the water, what I try to do is give people a visual reference because a lot of us are visual learners. And the thing about Dave's book and his, his artwork is that not only are you learning about the bugs and the stages, the life cycles, the flies, you're seeing it. He's such a great artist. He's an amazing individual with so much talent in his pages where I would flip through that book and I would read about the bug. I would see it hatching on the pages. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, if I could ever draw like that, I would really be able to, to give back like Dave does. And of course, to this day, I'm all about stick figures. <laughs> <So> I, don't, <laughs> I don't possess that talent at all. But it's getting to know Dave. And just like with Pat Dorsey being kind enough to write the forward, and, and being able to work with Pat and, and become a friend of Pat and know his family. It was the same thing with Dave. You know, Dave was kind enough to write the Forward in the the jacket on my my first book and how to catch the biggest trout of your life and he was so kind in doing that and just seeing his pages and becoming friends with Dave over the years you quickly realized like you mentioned everybody's willing to give back and just to watch somebody with that much raw talent just blew me away but I, I'll never forget those pages I mean really just watching the hatch in front of you watching the artwork and it was almost as if it was coming to life if you envisioned it it was really cool.
0: Yeah. And I think the neat thing too, is that, you know, Dave's patterns um, are not overly complicated. Right. Right. Yep. And so, you know, exactly. he's, he's kind of figured out kind of the key things, but I think, you know, I just tell beginning anglers, I was like, you know, if you just understand what the trout food is doing, it's going to make your life as an angler way easier.
1: Oh my gosh. Because You can see it. Exactly. It's just like presenting a streamer. If If you present the streamer, and you just go through the motions of retrieving, you're not visualizing what the streamer is doing in the water, even when you can't see it. And it's the same thing with bugs. You're trying to visualize how is that bug moving? What does it look like And its emergence? What does it look like skating on the surface? Absolutely. And that, that's what really allows Dave's pages to come to life. So that was, and you mentioned it too just now. I mean, learning from Dave, learning from Pat, from Ed, from John, all these mentorships and really people in the industry. And John Barr was. Without question, the biggest influence for me was just opening up the door and watching him on the water. It was incredible. I've never seen another angler where they would open up their fly box and everything in JV's box is something he designed. So he was designing each fly for a purpose. And if I look back on my mentorship and my younger years, my flies now reflect that each fly I tie has a purpose for a specific season, whether it's attracting for all seasons or dry flies, nymphs, or streamers, and then taking from what I learned from Dave and simplifying my patterns, you know, it's all, it all comes together and it really does influence your own artwork down the road. So that's why it's, it's so fun to see the whole circle come to life, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before we take a deeper dive into to your guide flies, you know, just to kind of set a baseline for everybody, how do you def- define a guide fly?
1: For me, a guide fly is an easy-to-tie pattern for tough trout, and it's proven on the water. So the thing for me is that when I have a guide fly, I'm looking for a realistic fly, I'm looking for a versatile fly, and I'm looking for a durable fly. And those are the three key components that, for me, make a fly a guide fly.
0: Got it. And, you know, people tie for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so, you know, you've got people that love to tie. Um, and then, but I think kind of what you do is a different, um, you know, it's not a technique thing. I mean, there are techniques involved, but I think about you is really, you know, you're, you're designing and tying flies to solve fishing problems. How do you kind of see those kind of different types of tying, um, how they relate to each other?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it is, you're solving a problem and and I, I see how they relate. For example, my tails-up tricho was the beginning stages of, of learning about spent or dead adults on the surface. And then that evolved where this year my new pattern with Umqua is the sink-it spinner. And you're going from the surface to subsurface, but it helps that pattern evolve. And I think the best example of that is my leeches. And my leeches started out with the mare's mini-leech, which was accepted by Umqua in 2009. And from that point, being an unweighted leech pattern, it's evolved to the mini leech jig and the mini leech jig rating series, and then the mini leech jig damsel, and just watching the progression on knowing that's one of my favorite ways to attract fish is to know that you have a fly that represents something that can be a food supply during any season of the year. And that's the cool thing about, as an example, again, leeches, it's always leech season. So it doesn't matter winter, spring, summer, fall, high, low water, dirty or clear water trout rely on leeches because they're most of the time available to the fish or something that they could see in the waters that they're holding or living
0: yeah got it and you know you talked a little bit about what you look for in your flies but you know kind of maybe shifting a little bit more to the to the triggers you know what qualities do you think a fly needs to catch tough fish
1: I think it needs to be realistic is the most important quality where it represents the food supply. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a realistic fly where it has every key detail of feature. But I think the realism of a fly comes from silhouette and movement. So that really is one of the key things I think the trout focus on. It's not not as if they know that there's legs on a pheasant tail, for example. It's the silhouette of the pheasant tail and how it's in the water and profile or moving. And that really is one of the key things. And that's why simplifying a pattern, and again, as a leech being the example, not all leeches are three and a half inches long. A lot of leeches, freshwater leeches especially, are an inch or less. And when you see that in the water, that is what allows the fish to understand it is realistic, and it does have movement, and it does breathe. And I think that's one of the key components. And one of the most important things to focus on is, is realistic and then if they're versatile it's it's even better you know it could be a leech could be a swimming nymph or the tube midge for example it could be a midge or it could be a caddis larva or it could simply just be an attractor in bright colors and all of that allows these fish to see your fly have confidence and they're willing to take
0: got it and you know in terms of your design process i was really kind of curious always a I always enjoy, yeah, I always enjoy talking about creative processes, whether it's writing or designing flies, but, you know, when you go through the process, are you, you know, do you, for example, isolate the triggers and then kind of strip the fly down to kind of its simplest form? or Are you kind of running all those pieces, you know, solving the puzzle, simplifying the design at the same time?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I'll put the design together and then the next phase, which is the most important in my opinion is I'll see how the fly moves and look at the silhouette when it's wet. So if I design a fly and I put it on the water, if it's a dry, I'll put it on the surface, see if it floats high, see if it's sitting low, if it's anchored left, right, front or back, if I need to make any adjustments there. If it's subsurface, just know, see how it looks below the water surface and is moving in the currents, You know, not just wet, but also wet and moving. And then I come back, I'll typically strip away and take away from a pattern. So build up the bulk first, take things away, shorten things. And then my my favorite thing to do is to grab the materials and maybe change them up. You know, when I first started doing the leeches, I was trying marabou, I was trying various materials. And then after fishing with the Hamrick Brothers in the North Platte, Wyoming with John Barr, and it's in the story of uh, the hunt for giant trout, we we developed a lot of, you know, techniques and strategies over the years. But when I fished the north Platte. we were using the slump buster and john was casting out one a rippled run and we had had so many fish take the fly over the course of one day towards the end of the day the rabbit off the back of the streamer broke off and when that broke off all of a sudden out of the blue we were getting even more takes we were just casting stripping landing and releasing over doing that you know four or five hours later the wire broke and all of a sudden we had that rabbit right off the head of the fly and that's what really helped me understand boom that's what those fish were keying in on and that's where i fell in love with and found the micro pine squirrel and i remember jason just told me and said hey man you've got to try micro pine squirrel it's a great material and from that point it you know down the road started developing the mini leach but it was cool to see you know just how that material really did give more life to the fly and had that silhouette over marabou or something that would be a little bit more spread out when it was breathing in the water
0: yeah, interesting, and I understand now that pine squirrels are an endangered species because of you. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's crazy, right? I mean, there's so many things that we don't have access to and delays. But I've even thought about going on the backyard. There's a ton of squirrels, and maybe getting a permit to do it. But it's jokingly, it's it's crazy just how effective and how that moves in the water. You know, for for a variety of flies or techniques that you can. Instead of using large streamers, you can trail the, the mares many leech off the back, and there's just so many ways to fish it. But it is difficult to find the materials, and you start to understand when you go to warehouses. and And I'm very thankful and fortunate. My flies are picked up and produced by Uncle Feather merchants. But when you go up there and you see a you know giant. 65-gallon trash bag full of micro pine squirrel, you start to realize quickly, oh, that, that could be one of the reasons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll have to introduce you to some of my hunting friends uh, here on the East Coast because we have a squirrel season. Sure. and uh, nice. Yeah, you can get gray squirrel and uh, red squirrel. I don't know if I can help you out with pine squirrel, though.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, well, we'll mix it up and
0: we'll try the different heights of the furs and see how they work. <laughs> eh, well, there you go. Um, and, you know, kind of stepping back for you know, anglers that are um, want to kind of think about your process for simplifying their patterns and building simple Mm -hmm. effective patterns for their waters, what would you suggest for them?
1: You know, I would say if you're trying to simplify the pattern, think about the water and the condition of the water that you're fishing. And something that really struck me over the years is we'll have heights in water where midsummer it's flowing and raging. And then during drought years, we have some of the lowest clear water you could ever imagine. And in simplifying the fly, you know, taking away things like flash. For example, in the past I would fish a lot of flies with big beads, bright beads, and a lot of flash. And I've learned that when you take away some of that flash or the excess buildup on the fly, or maybe instead of a bright bead to use something more subtle and you hide or disguise the bead, that really does help to simplify the pattern, but also make it more realistic for the trout. So I would definitely, when you're thinking of fly design, don't just focus on how the fly looks. Like you mentioned before with Dave's book, think about the water, think about the food supply, how it moves, what's the common light. You know, in Colorado, we have 300 days of sun a year. If you're on the East Coast or Central, you may only have 120 days. You have a lot of cloudy conditions, dark light. So that's where you could use something bright to get the fish to see the fly and take in comparison to the West where you have a lot of sunny days and you want it more subtle with less flash, So I think it's water condition, it's lighting conditions you deal with on a regular basis, and then just matching that food supply that's available to the trout or even other species at hand.
0: Yeah. And you talked a little bit about flash, but any thoughts on, you know, helping tires think about, you know, uh, natural versus synthetic materials? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you can, you know, natural materials being your furs, your, your
1: skin, you know, anything that's on the fly that comes from something else that's natural or living, that could just add more. I, it's more realistic in the water is the best way to put it. You know, it breathes different, it looks different. Synthetics mixed in with that, I think, can help. You know, when you add flash to the body or you make the fly look a certain way, and and I like a variety of both. I mean, a good, a good example of that would be the Titan Tube Midge. You know, the body's made up of wire and tubing with the bead and then you have ostrich in the collar. So you get that movement from the ostrich. You get that clear segmentation of the body and, you know, adding a little bit of flash on the leech or adding the, you know, rubber wings and some of the other dry flies that sink. All of that is just a blend of both. So I'm, I encourage both. I mean, it doesn't always have to be natural, but there again, my go-to pattern when it comes to any nymph scenario on any river system from the month of April all the way through the fall is a buckskin and the buckskin is chamois leather on the hook with thread and that's about as natural as you can get and that thing is a a go-getter pattern no matter where you fish
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely we've got guys around here that like to fish the chamois leech and they clean up
1: oh yeah it's amazing just that natural very simplistic and that natural movement but again it's natural movement breathability in the water And then when you need some segmentation or transparency or something that really does add, you know, a gas bubble or something from a bead. So synthetics mixed with natural, I think, is really a cool way to approach it. But always know you can lean on both sides.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the neat things, too, is you can buy those really small uh, aquariums, right? They're not even five gallons, you know, if you can't if you can't spring for one of the big flymen, you know, uh, game changer testers. And, you know, because I don't know, you know, flies look different when they're wet than when they're dry. Right. So absolutely
1: yeah Yeah, the one joke i always tell people is you know if you want to see what a pattern really looks like to the trout or if it's something that you should have confidence in to purchase is, you know go get your small cup walk into your fly shop grab a fly out of the bin soak it in the cup look at it be like yeah yeah that i don't think that's gonna work and put it back no i'm joking (laughs) don't do that don't walk into the shop and do that but it is you know you want to get it wet you want to see what it looks like realistic form and how it looks in the water and not just get it wet. Here's the other thing there too, Marvin, is you want the fly, not when it's in your hand wet, but you want to see what it's like submerged in the water. You know, when there's tension to the fly and there's current to the fly and just seeing how it breathes and moves, man, it's, it's incredible to watch that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And you know, I know you're always, um, you're always learning and you're always, um, trying to kind of expand your, your skill set. And I would suspect that uh, since the last time we talked and probably while you were working on this book, you've picked up some new, you know, tying tips or tricks you can share with our listeners.
1: Oh yeah. Well, it's, you know, some of the cool things about fly tying is you know, just like angling, you become better as an angler learning from watching other people tie or different techniques and strategies. And I think for myself, you know, something I've really enjoyed doing recently or dubbing loops, and in the past, I would just rotate the material around the hook shank and just having a dubbing loop where you can make it complex. And maybe you add some fur from micro pine squirrel, mix it in with a little bit of flash, wrap that around the body. And by doing this book and putting it together, I was tying eight other individuals who are in the book who I need to give 100% credit to. And Arlo Townsend, Michael Burgess, um, Phil Torellia, Angus Drummond. Dave Hoover, Walt Mueller, Michael Burgess was one of the ones that taught me on his pattern to do a dubbing loop and how to wrap that dubbing loop around the hook shank. And man, it was just really cool in doing that and building collars. So that's one of the the great tips I learned. And then also, you know, for preparation for your materials, the way that you're cutting them, I used to in the past really rely on you know, soft or open loops and then cinch them down on the opposite side of the hook shank to seat my materials. But I've just learned through this process, doing pinch wraps and just shortening up the distance of your thread made a huge difference on some of the sequences and the steps and the ties. So I think those are two really key tips to keep control of your materials throughout every step of the fly. And then for beginning fly tires, you know, when you're wrapping your thread forward, couple of things you can do, angle the tag end of the thread when you first build your base, angle it up 45 degrees, and then every wrap on top of that lies flush on the hook shank. And the other thing is, and I was teaching my son this the other night, when River was tying his thread towards the eye of the hook, he would stop his thread there and then grab material and then try to wrap back. And I always mentioned to him, you know, when you're wrapping forward, always do two wraps back so that it doesn't unravel and you keep it seated and you keep the material seated on the hook shank. So those are just a couple of tips and tricks that are in the book and things you learn and, you know, process along the way.
0: Yeah. I think one of the neatest ones, I think the last time I saw you do a time demonstration was uh, your trick with the, uh, the magnets that are in the TMCO hook packs in the, uh, in that in the crazy glue, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can, uh, you can use that to where you, you put a dab of super glue on the magnet and, it stays moist for two hours and you can apply that to make sure that each one of your flies are durable. And, you know, whether it's the resin, whether it's epoxy, whether it's cement, super glue, I think making your flies durable by adding that adhesive to it really does give you confidence because it's going to allow you, let's say that you don't have that pattern, it's the last one in your box and you're catching fish and you're not losing the fly, but all of a sudden it starts to unravel and fall apart. That can give you two more fish or you know, when you're dealing with inclement weather, cold and warm or high flows, that durability factor is key. But yeah, there's definitely, that's one of the tips and tricks that helped me along the way. And again, when you talk about production, having that glue available to dip and put dip in place and, you know, everything is all streamlined. It's all a process. Just like guiding or fishing, preparation is the key to success. And the same thing with fly time. Just lay your materials out, cut them in advance. I learned that from Charlie Craven. And just make sure you grab each of the materials that are laid out, measure it, ready to go. Then the same can be said with that super glue and a magnet. That really does help.
0: Yeah, also, too, I thought it was neat because you actually use a piece of wire and not a bodkin. So, I mean, you can get a right. very, yeah, very little amount of that uh, crazy glue or super glue on the head of a fly. Uh, and, Absolutely. You know, because yep. I mean, the Loctite applicators aren't great and the brushes on those things are huge. So. <laughs> These are monsters. Yeah, you got the mid, and all of a sudden it's coated 100% with super
1: glue. <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, you don't
0: need solar res anymore. It's all good.
1: Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got to cover it up. No, that's that's key. And the cool thing in this book is I actually photograph all of the processes, including the adhesive and super glue. And, and one of the things that was the biggest challenge for this project, and I'm the most proud of, is that my good friend Jay Nichols and Ross Purnell and And all these great individuals over the years that have given me the influence, Frank Martin, great writers at Ingle, these people convinced me, you know, from the beginning, learn how to take photographs, learn how to write, learn how to do this. It's all the process of being able to become a better ultimate teacher. Well, Jay convinced me, hey, man, you should take every image in this book, including the step ties. So during COVID, in the studio in my office, I shot. 572 step tie photos and in doing that i was able to actually focus in and keep it sharp that the droplets on the wire of lock type that was the process of elimination but at the end of it i quickly realized and i don't know if, you know the listeners realize this or fly tires abroad i have a newfound respect not only for photography but individuals like charlie craven who has taken step tie photos for every one of his fly tying books and this being my first book i just immediately knew that number one i loved the process i also hated the process at times but being able to capture that really did make a difference in the pages
0: yeah absolutely i've heard stories interviewing other tires for their books where they they were doing their own photography and they would mess the fly up and they'd have to start all over again um, and uh, retie the fly from the beginning because they wanted all the pictures to uh, to match
1: Oh, it's crazy. So if you put your lights up, and for those who are getting into photography or tying, if you move it even just a hair, not not even a fraction of a hair, I mean, just a slight tilt, all of a sudden your background color is gone. <laughs> That's a 100% fact. My son walked into the, the office one day and, hey, Dad, what are you doing? And, you know, leaned on the wall and touched one of the lamps, and it barely moved, and back to the drawing board, had to reshoot the seven bugs. (laughs) 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 And that's when you look at your son, you're like, I love you. And turn and you shed a tear. You're like, okay, we're going to be up all night on this one. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) And so, you know, talking about the patterns in the book, I mean, I kind of think about it as breaking it into three sets, right? And so, you know, you've got the patterns that folks know about because they're available from UNQUA or they've seen you demonstrate them. And then I think uh-huh. there's another group of uh, flies that people may not know, even unless maybe they fished with you, uh, that they're yours as well. And then you've got this group of flies for the folks that you just mentioned that you, you, know, you met on your fly fishing journey. You want to tell folks kind of how you picked what you wanted to put in the book?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So there's and one thing to realize when you're trying to design a flyer, even if you submit a fly, it's not always accepted. And sometimes they don't accept the pattern because there's something very similar in the market. They don't accept the pattern because it doesn't fit what they're trying to move forward with in regards to sales. And there's so many different variables, but there are patterns in the book that I have that I've used over the years that are not available to the public through Umpqua. So I wanted to include those because they've really have brought me success. The individuals in the book, Angus Drummond, Dave Hoover, Phil Trellia, Arlo Townsend, Michael Burgess, Walt Mueller, all of these people that were kind enough to give these patterns that are also Very good guides and very experienced anglers. And what I really enjoy about the book, and I like to tell the story, is, you know, you have individuals that are full-time guides on the water. And then I have individuals like Dave Hoover, who is my client and a good friend of mine that I've done trips with and been guiding for many, many years. And Dave walked up one day and said, man, I got this. I got this new idea and check it out. I tied this fly last night. He brought it out the first trip and we had some success and then he tweaked it, and brought it out about two months later. And the fly is in the book. It's a streamer called The Animal. And man, it just 100% lit everything up. It was amazing how well that fly is produced. And I asked Dave, you know, if he'd be kind enough to allow me to put that pattern in the book, which we have. So it's really cool to see the relationship from clients to guides, to just people that don't have something commercial on the market. And how well it works and, and in addition to taking photography, you know, some great people that were kind enough to help out. And Jacob Berslin with Uncle Feather Merchants and his great freelance photographer, Doug Hensel, Greg Flores, um, the Demous that were kind enough to offer some of the, the images as well. It's it's nice to to see all these people that have these talents come together and try to help one another out. So I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. And also Mentorship of great people that were writing the jacket blurbs on the back. And somebody that we have as a mutual friend as well, that I, I found fascinating and had the chance to tie with him in South Holston and spend some time with him over the years and see him at shows, Blaine Chocolate with the Game Changers. And, you know, being on the edge of the South Holston and watching him develop the 45 minute fly and be able to share that and learn from him on the water as well was, was really awesome. And, and he was kind enough to write a jacket uh, blurb on the back of the book. So it's, it all comes together. Skip and Carol Ann Morris, man, we just, we have a great community. And I, one of the things too, Marvin, is these projects are not possible without the help and support from so many people. And for me, it's Stack Pool Books with everybody coming together and giving their information, knowledge, and images. That's really how these projects come together and shine. So I'm, I'm always thankful for that, for sure.
0: Yeah, super neat. It's funny you say that because um, Skip's book was the first book I got when I started Flytime. <laughs> yeah, he's such
1: a yeah. It's Skip and Caroline Morris. I mean, they're they're a class act. And I met them in Minnesota. I, I had Skip's book at home as well, and I was talking to them both, and you know, learning about their techniques and their flies, and building the friendship. And it was just incredible to watch their techniques too, and just watch him in person. And that's one of the things I love about going to the shows and giving back. It still brings me back to my youth when I was a kid, and would get giddy and excited about just being able to learn from these people. And I would make sure I take some breaks and have a chance to go sit in. And I was able to do it in Minnesota with Skip. It was, uh,
0: it was quite the treat. <laughs> yeah, Very neat. And you, you, know, your, your patterns are, uh, you know, when I kind of went through the book, it was like, you know, this is really kind of everything you need to fish tailwaters. Right. And, right. and, you know, I know you're bread and butter every day fishing, you fish still waters and tailwaters in Colorado, And, you know, for an angler that doesn't have um, those types of angling opportunities, you know, so for example, like midges are really small, you know, how do you, how do the patterns in the book, you know, move and apply to other water types?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's really great that you bring that up because there are, there's so many applications for the flies. And that's where I think the leeches in the book really do shine, whether it's rivers and still waters whether you're on the tailwater or freestone or you're dealing with resident or migratory fish, it's always across the board. And just like we mentioned earlier, it's always leech season. And it's crazy how many fish just key in on leeches and really do find that as not only an attracting food supply, but I believe that trout and other species find it as a confidence spot. If you ever watch a leech move in the water, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're like racing ribbons. They move incredibly fast small or large and a good example of that is on free stones if you're trailing that off of a weighted fly and it's an unweighted leech you can dead drift it you can swing it up on the Missouri you could dead drift it on the Arkansas you could hang it below dries or anything of that sort when you're fishing some of the larger waters like the South Holston the White Lake Tenicoma, or eastern waters where you get the tributary fish out of the Great Lakes it really can represent bait fish and multiple food supplies. So I think that's what helps the flight develop across the board. And I found a newfound love and respect for still waters. And over the years, you know, I'll do 60% rivers, 40% still waters and that still water game, like other anglers and friends, Phil Rowley and courier and Jeff Curry and all these different individuals I fish with on still waters over the years, Brad beef Tyler beef. It's, It's crazy just how not only how many opportunities you get, but just how big the fish are. So that's what's really nice about this book is you can attach these flies if they're used for tailwaters they are designed with the thought in mind that the fish, no matter what water or river or still water you're in, the fish really will key in on them. So that's what I'm the most proud of in the pages is the diversity of the bugs
0: yeah very neat and also you know we touched on this earlier you know you really do provide a lot of detail at the beginning of each pattern uh, about how to rig and fish each each fly and i was really curious sure. about kind of how that occurred to you and and i mean i think it's super awesome but i wanted you to kind of share yeah. kind of like why you wanted to bring that to your tying book
1: oh absolutely yeah and well first off it's thanks to my good friend and the best editor in the industry jay nichols he, <laughs> he kicked my butt with his text you know he'd write down, I'm trying to convey the message that I teach on the water and put that into words on paper. It's, it's not always the easiest task. So really, I didn't want to lose any attention to the detail, and that's what Jay would come in. and so say, you should add more. Or what about this? And we've spent many years together. But the goal is to not only mention how the fly works, but also mention how to fish the fly. And what is specific, as you mentioned before, what's you know the specifics about that fly that – separated from others so what is it that you've learned over the years and through the the letters of you know when you look at flies and you look at different things about flies whether it's the detail and design detail and how it fishes detail and rigging i wanted all that to really be the focus on each chapter and as you go through the text you can really you can see the fly itself when you tie it but just knowing what it's doing, how it's working in the water through the words, and then seeing the diagrams from Dave Hall—that's the connection I wanted to uh, to give to the readers, and it really has come across well in these pages. As you mentioned, the detail is—it's unbelievable. You could go back and reference each chapter multiple times, and my hope was that you would catch a new detail each time you go back.
0: Yeah, and I think the neat thing too is you know it's so detailed, and it's detailed also not just for the pattern but also for the situation.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: That really you can extrapolate it even if you're not fishing a pattern in the book to help you, you know, fish that situation even if you don't have one of the flies.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're learning fishing techniques, and that's where the the angler, you know, the true roots of the angler and the guide on the water are reflected through the word. You know, when I was young, and a lot of the learning that I developed over the years was from anglers that were very successful and as guiding has become more popular and well known in our industry all of us that are guides or teachers on the water we're learning through details every day and that's really what you know you're mentioning that in the pages you learn the details even if it doesn't relate to that fly you know the technique of how to fish it and you think oh i could use that in my own waters with this bug or with that setup or this rig. So yeah, there's a ton of information. If you were to just take the slides away from the pages, it could be another book in its own right. Just talking about techniques and strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny too, cause I went back and double checked. This is your sixth book, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and so I'm kind of curious, um, is the writing process getting easier as you go along?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we had discussed that a little bit before and, I, the reason I laugh is because I I want to say it is, but through the challenge and just trying to push myself further, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about writing is I'm an angler first, trying to learn how to become a writer, and that's really the way I view this. There's other individuals in our sport, the Dave Hughes and the Eddie Ingalls, and so many great writers in you know the Gearox and these people that are writers that are also anglers or writers that became anglers. And that's, for me, the challenge in writing, but it's also something that's so rewarding. You know, you're trying to convey a message and tell a story. And when you're on the water, you do that, but it's not in the same sequence. You know, you may fish with a client or fish with a friend, and then you guys rap about something or tell jokes and stories in between, or you do it during lunch. And the pages, you're trying to intertwine both of those at the same time, while also expressing the image, you know, that that catch when you see the fly or the big fish and excitement in the pages so it is challenging and I think for this book the reason it was the hardest to date was because and this is a great example let's say you take a regular book and you write the book and then the book has 275 images all of those images are provided captions so two sentences times 275 images next thing you know it's almost like you're writing a separate book well what I didn't realize with this is I have the text, the images, and the captions, and then you add 572 step-type photos and captions to those, it's, you know, another 60,000 words. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's never ending. That's why when I talked to Charlie Craven the other day, we were joking about it on the phone. I said, man, I have a whole new appreciation and respect for what you've done over the years, because I even took that for granted, just not realizing reading Charlie's books or going through John Barr's book. And Anybody else who's written a book in the industry, you quickly realize, wow, all of those step-tie photos have captions, the other captions, and, and it really is a process of learning as you go. But that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it challenging. And, you know, the reward's even better if you're challenged by it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because then the challenge is you want to be consistent in the way you talk about things for all the patterns, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And luckily for me, I've got that voice from teaching on the water. So being
1: on the water daily, I've developed a technique and strategy for teaching or a specific voice. And I'm I'm a very simplified teacher. I don't want to complicate things because I believe that anglers learn in three. Once you go past the third step to a fourth, they can get lost. So I try to simplify it while focusing on a specific detail. And that's the great thing about fly tying is that's why my patterns are the way they are. I I pay attention to the simple details on the water and I try to do the same thing on the bite.
0: Really interesting. And I'll one one more question before we move on. You know, is did you learn anything new about yourself as a writer or angler while you were writing this book?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I what I learned in going through the process is that it's it almost sparked a whole new interest and in, I would say just a passion for design. So I had I didn't realize this would happen, but you know, when you sit down and you try to think of a pattern or a way a fly could work and you want to develop something. You, you're influenced by the day in the water or the story or the fishy land or lose and going through these flies nonstop where it became a process of, you know, every day working for three or four hours for a course of seven months. Next thing I realized, Oh my gosh, I have like 12 new ideas. So trying to jot those down, it just sparked a whole new passion for fly design. So hopefully that will lead to some more bugs down the road, but I'm thankful for that because I would still develop a fly but to have all those ideas just really come up and land on paper. It made me wonder if that's the way that musicians work or artists work, you know, when they're writing a song and they make an album and next thing you know, they're so inspired that that sparks the next album. And it's just that, that process of elimination all the
0: way across. It's really cool. Yeah. Very, very neat. And, you know you're a busy guy, so I imagine you've got tons of projects in the pipeline for 2022. And you know, knock on wood, we're starting to put COVID in the rearview uh, window. You want to share some of your upcoming projects with folks?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's it's nice. The book will be out. It's going to be available. The delivery date is expected early December and maybe mid December, depending on if there are some delays that we deal with in everyday life. Now, I also have a video that's coming up. I'll be starting production on that next March. So we'll have the book and then I'm going to have a, a full length, produce the video with a headwater Books so that will be coming out soon. I have some articles coming up with fly fishermen, two articles in the pipeline there, where we're going to talk about techniques and strategies for the flies. One I'm going to leave as a surprise for a feature piece in the magazine, which would be great. Um, I have a bunch of shows on schedule, the fly fishing show. I'll be in, I'll be in Boston this year. I'll be in New Jersey, Pleasanton, Atlanta, and also Denver. I'm excited about those shows. And the first time I'll be at the Wasatch show in Utah. And outside of that, just living every day and trying to get out on the water, learn and teach and get back. And most importantly, in enjoying time with the family. So it's going to be a busy season it's coming up for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You got any hosted trips in
1: 2022? I do. I have two hosted trips and, and thanks for bringing those up. They're down, they're further down the road, but we have a trip with nomadic waters to brazil and the amazon for peacock bass and arapaima and some other cool species there I, I did that trip with them two years ago and it was oh my gosh just incredible not only to see the fish but the culture the water the wildlife the birds it's just amazing you come back literally a different person and then the next step which i've not done this before is going to be golden Dorado. and we're doing that with set fly fishing where we're fishing two different locations. A group of six anglers will be joining me on that one. And if you have any interest in the trips, they're they're definitely available for this coming fall or next year in the fall, 2022. And then also I'm going to be looking at some trips in spring of the following year. So those are two that I'm very excited about, peacock bass and golden dorado and, you know, really see what fish do when they try to kill a streamer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And I know you're really good too, that if folks go to your website, you're going to have all of your appearances, all of your hosted yep. trips. So, I mean, that's probably the best place, right, for folks to, uh, to go learn about all that stuff.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And we just posted them today, actually. All the new, the new schedules up, including your podcast and presentations and tying demos and classes. That will also be continuing to grow as we add more classes to it. I have a fly tying class that's going to be at the Peak Fly Shop and a demonstration coming up in December I know you and I have some stuff for next year in the pipeline for classes and giving back. And then in addition to that, also I'm excited about some of the new items and artwork. I I just completed a new sticker with Nate Carnes. And if you don't know of Nate, he's a great individual, wonderful artist. He actually designed those cool stickers I had in the past of the pig brown trout or pig rainbow. And he developed our Gator Brown. So check that out on the website. We have the new got leeches sticker that just, was just posted and came out and displayed today. So that's available too, but it's all, all in fun. And yeah, the home base is definitely the website with a lot of great info and information. And uh, of course, ultimately the biggest thing that I'd love doing and focus on. And 23 years later, man, I still have the passion to drive and that is full-time guide on the water, man. That's my bread and butter. That's what I love
0: doing. Yeah. And I'll drop all that stuff in the show notes and to come back to guide fly. So it's going to come out Uh, either early to mid-December. I know Amazon says they're going to have it December 30th. You know, where are all the places folks can find the books? And are you going to be doing personalized copies on your website store? Or are people going to need to find you at a show and get a signed copy?
1: No, I appreciate that. Thanks for asking. So you can do pre-orders through my website. And I do have a page for that on the homepage where you just click on it. It takes your information. When the book comes out, I can personalize it to you. And that was the reason for that just the personalization of each book and whether it's a gift or something for yourself in your library, you can pick them up through the store at any one of the fly fishing shows with uh, Ben Frimsky and Chuck Frimsky. They'll have them available there. Your local fly shop, the books are available, especially trying to do as many events as possible. I'll be, you know, the peak fly shop, angler's covey, blue quill, trout, so many different shops locally. I'm going to try to make sure I give support to and then abroad any shows or spots I stop at. And and lastly, and probably the most important is going to be the online through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Stack of Books. You can reach the books there as well. And they. I believe the delivery is December 3rd to December 10th. And then from there, they'll disperse and do distribution. So I think the safe date is end of December, but there's a good chance when it arrives early December that we can get some of the advanced pre-orders out the door.
0: Yeah, there you go. And I'll do what I always do. I'll add uh, this new book to uh, your section on our author's page on our website. and I assume I that. Yeah, absolutely. And I assume like all your other books and you've got several DVDs uh, or digital mm-hmm. downloads, all that stuff people can find on your website too, right? You bet.
1: Yeah, books and videos like Mastering the Short Game with Headwater Books, all all available. And you Just go to the menu bar. You can scroll through. There's a lot of great information. I do a newsletter every month, which I just give away a free guide tip every month and mention the locations where I'll be doing talks or demos or classes. So feel free to sign up for that. And there's some great info there and insight as
0: well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's your favorite flavor of social media for folks to follow you on?
1: You know, I think lately I've had a lot of fun with Instagram. Uh, The reason I like Instagram is sharing a story, a video this place to really connect and, and it's pretty easy my site there is or my tag is at land mare fly fishing uh youtube i have a channel that's growing with a lot of the video tips i do through the newsletter and that land mare fly fishing on youtube and then facebook land mare fly fishing and i actually have a tiktok page now thanks to scientific anglers so you can <laughs> you can find me at tiktok and it's always growing and a lot of fun so I can't promise any good dance
0: moves, but I'll sure give it a shot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I don't know if the world's ready for that or not, but we'll see. <laughs> no. We'll see, right? See you quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, Lyndon, I really appreciate you taking some time uh, this evening to chat with me.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Marvin. Always always a blast and can't wait to see you at the Fly Time Symposium this weekend. If you're in New Jersey, come check it out. I know you and I are going to have dinner, be at the show. It's A chance to see some of the best fly tires in the world will be there. And yeah, I'm excited about that. So one more day and I'll be traveling. And then after that, I'm wishing everybody success on and off the water. And for you and your family as well, Marvin, happy holidays, my friend.
0: Absolutely. Same to you. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.